Hello, good morning. I am Denise Pisa, the New Oregon Ready Coalition Manager with GAUSA Oregon. Uh, welcome to the public charge webinar for the Oregon Service Providers, the new final rule uh, brought to you by, by GAUSA, the Oregon Law Center, Uvalkri, ERCO, and the, or the Oregon Latino Health Coalition and Oregon Health Authorities Community Partner and Outreach Program. So before we get started, I would like to review a few quick housekeeping items. Um, first, this webinar is being recorded, and so all attendees are on mute. Uh, we have a lot of information to cover today, so we won't be able to accommodate a live Q&A. So if you have any questions, please type them into the webinar platform, and our presenters will do their best to address your questions as they go and we'll direct you to resources that will help answer many of your questions. So with that, let's get started. Um, to kick us off, we have Oliver Vera from OHA and Alberto Moreno from DHS, who would like to say a few quick words of welcome. Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias. Uh, Oliver Vera with the Community Federal Outreach Program at OHA. Uh, I just want to say welcome, and, uh, and we appreciate the collaboration, and we appreciate our, our partners who help us to put all this together. Uh, one of the important partners that we have internally is uh, the Department of Human Services, the Office of uh, Abraham Multicultural Services, and uh, I'm really grateful to have Alberto Moreno this morning. He's sitting next to me. It's, uh, it's not often that I have that opportunity to be next to Alberto, uh, but we, we appreciate the, the support and the partnership that we have uh, with this important organization internally and with all of you, so welcome, and uh, we hope that you enjoy our presentation today. Buenos dias, everyone. Alberto Moreno here with the Office of Equity and Multicultural Services. I just want to welcome everybody to this important seminar. Um, I especially want to thank our community partners for all of your great work, for your thoughtfulness around this emergent issue. I know that it is top of mind for many of our community members, and so how we uh, address that call for clarity um, how we remain and present a coherent uh, voice to community is really important and my office is just very pleased to be able to be in partnership with you um, and I want to again thank the partners for uh, creating resources and uh, for putting this together it is no small amount of work and uh, we're grateful to you for that thank you so turning to our presenters again, uh, I am Denise Pisa with CAUSA Oregon, and I'll be the moderator and presenter for today's webinar. Our other presenters include Roberto Gamboa from Uvalcri, Beth Englander from Oregon Law Center, Leslie Salazar from Oregon Latino Health Coalition, Janice Chang and Koi Vu from Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization, ERCO, um, and Josie Silverman Mendez from Oregon Health Authority. Today we will be focusing on updates surrounding the new Department of Homeland Security's public charge rule, which is slated to take effect on October 15th. To do this, we will provide the national context for the rule, a technical overview of what the new rule includes and who is impacted, and talking points and other resources to help Oregon service providers help communicate the facts. 
the new public charge rule is one of the many policies and practices at the federal level that have created an intentional climate of fear for immigrants. We are talking about public charge because of the large chill fear effect, which is which is it's having now. As social service providers, we know that the communities uh, you serve are coming to you with questions and concerns about public charge, and we want to help you fight the fear with facts. So the chilling fear effect uh, that is having is basically people are not signing up for benefits or requesting to disenroll from benefits because of the fear that these policies and practices are creating. Right now we're going to have you, Valkyrie, summarize some of the questions their organization has been fielding from the Latinx and immigrant communities they serve in Eastern Oregon. Thank you, Roberto. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for being here today. Um, so this is some of the questions that we're hearing directly from community members in uh, Eastern Oregon. Um, there's a lot of confusion over which programs count as public charge. Um, the big question being is are the Oregon Health Plan a program that's effective? Um, other questions and concerns about specific circumstances that are coming into our office. As you all can see, we have questions about an undocumented parent of a U.S. citizen, uh, U.S. citizen child who receives OHP benefits, whether they're, um, they'll be affected or not. Um, we have questions from doctor recipients with coverall kids, um, whether they're ineligible to apply for his or her residency in the future. Um, we have current OHP beneficiaries so, um, and the concern of whether they're going to be will be affected when renewing the green card. And then we've also had concerns, um, we've had a pregnant uh, community member with full OHP who's in the process of getting their uh, green card and, and the concerns of what will happen to her, her case. And then we've also had questions from UV stakeholders on, on whether their OHP will be affected or not. And so these are all direct questions that we received over the course of the last few months directly um, with our staff at our office. And so well, what we'll be doing is reviewing how a community-based organization such as ourselves or um, any of the others that are serving um, the community members throughout the state of Oregon, how they can um, answer and address these questions as they're receiving them at their um, office or in public when they're out in the community doing outreach. Thank you. Uh, so one of the things that's really important with public charge is being able to present the message in plain language. Uh, there are uh, things that we want you to remember about public charge and help us communicate to your clients and community. Uh, the plain language message that we want to be using is that public charge rule does not apply to every immigrant. Uh, many of the public benefits do not count towards public charge. Uh, public charge benefits your children or other family members get do not count against you in the public charge test. Uh, just getting public benefits alone does not make you a public charge, and we want people to stay informed. Things could change, and to understand that you are not alone and there is help. The Oregon Law Center will now provide a detailed overview of public charge, giving you more context and understanding for these key plain language facts and addressing some of the major questions we know you may be receiving from the communities you serve. 
Good morning. My name is Beth Englander. I'm an attorney at the Oregon Law Center. Oregon Law Center is a nonprofit law firm. We do civil legal cases for people who are low income. We have offices throughout the state of Oregon. The map you see shows both Oregon Law Center and legal aid offices. We work in cooperation with legal aid. We represent many low-income immigrants on all types of civil legal cases, so please feel free to refer any of the types of cases listed above to your local legal aid or Oregon Law Center office. I do want to note that Oregon Law Center and Legal Aid run a statewide public benefits telephone hotline. That number is on this slide. It's generally open Monday through Thursday, and it is a good resource for people who have legal questions about public benefits, including about public charge. And the hotline is accessible to people who don't speak English. Next slide, please. So immigrants are afraid right now, and for good reason. One of the reasons is out of fear of the new public charge rule that was issued by the Federal Department of Homeland Security. As you heard from Denise earlier, fear is leading people to, be, to go without safety net benefits that they truly need. Because there are serious short-term and long-term risks to going without food and healthcare and housing, we really want people to be able to make an informed decision before taking those risks and not just act out of fear. And to that end, I wanted to share with you our goals when we talk about public charge. Our goals are to reduce fear in the, in, about public charge, increase accurate, fact-based information in the community so that people can make good, informed decisions for themselves. We hope to fight fear with facts, and we don't want to let immigrants and their families go without food, medical care, and shelter if they don't need to. Next slide, please. To understand public charge and immigrants' desire to disenroll or not sign up for public benefits, we really need to know that we're talking about a relatively small group of immigrants who both qualify for the specific public charge benefits, the ones that count against immigrants in a public charge test, and the immigrants who are at a point in their journey where they can face the public charge test in the near future. So in order to do that, we need a basic grasp of when immigrants who are not citizens can actually get public benefits. So children who are US citizens can get public benefits even if their parents or other household members are totally undocumented. And those benefits do not count against the, an immigrant in her public charge test. Sometimes qualified immigrants can get some public benefits, although many would have to wait five years of being an LPR, um, a legal permanent resident, before they can get benefits. Some qualified immigrants like refugees or asylees or VAWA petitioners and more can get public benefits without a waiting period. And just to qualify, to clarify the words qualified immigrant, is a, that's a term of art and it refers to categories of immigrants that Congress has decided can actually qualify for benefits. So this is the group that may need to worry about public charge and the new rule. Lastly, some safety net programs don't consider immigrant status, immigration status at all. And if a benefit or a safety net program doesn't consider immigration status, that benefit cannot count against an immigrant in a public charge test. Next slide, please. 
So as a quick reminder, this is why immigrants and people who help immigrants shouldn't just give up on benefits out of fear of the public charge rule. As you can see from this slide, benefits are very important because these safety net programs are critical to helping people move out of poverty. These programs like HANIF, which is Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, Cover All Kids, Emergency Medicaid, also known as COWM, Food Stamps, WIC, which is Women, Infants, and Children's Supplemental Nutrition. These are the programs that are sometimes keeping lower-income families afloat, keeping them from getting pulled into that dangerous territory of deep poverty that can really trap children in a generational cycle of poverty. Next slide, please. Now we're going to shift to talking, actually talking about public charge. And I want to let everyone on this call know this topic is really complicated. There are multiple concepts to understand before you can even understand the rule. And these multiple concepts don't necessarily really build on each other, so it's hard to find a logical, linear way to describe public charge. And we know that this is confusing and complicated to us, and it is confusing and complicated to our immigrant clients. And we know that it has created fear and confusion in immigrant communities. So I'm going to make a suggestion that after you do this webinar, I suggest you go back and take a look at the slides again. You may actually get a, like a deeper understanding or a, a clearer understanding the second time around. So what is public charge? What does that even mean? Public charge is a test that U.S. immigration officials apply when deciding if an immigrant will be permitted to enter the United States or stay in the United States. Um, the idea of public charge, this kind of test, has been around for more than 100 years, and actually the test has been almost the same for decades now. The public charge test, so you know, has always been used as a tool for the U.S. government to keep people out who the government decides it wants to keep out. And frankly, it has always been a racialized tool. It was originally used to keep Chinese immigrants out, and it has since been used to exclude people from other, other nations over time. So for the past 20 years or so, the public charge rule has been the same, and no one has talked about it very much. Now we're talking about it because the Department of Homeland Security changed the rule. We know that the changes have created a climate of fear and made immigrants feel unsafe and unwelcome. Next slide, please. So let's dig in a little and talk about what is the public charge test. The public charge test is when a federal immigration officer decides whether an immigrant is likely to, in the future, need a lot of support from the government. So how do they decide that? Immigration officers have to consider many factors in what they, are, what they call a totality of the circumstances test. So they have to consider things like an immigrant's age, an immigrant's health, their finances, their education, and more things, including whether they have used some public benefits. But the use of public benefits is only one factor in that test, and there have to be many factors considered. Next slide, please. It helps when thinking about the public charge test to understand when the test is applied here in the United States. 
This is important because understanding when it applies is going to help you understand the limitations of the public charge rule. So immigrants will only face the public charge test at these times. When someone is applying to enter the United States, when someone is in the United States and applying to become a permanent re a legal permanent resident or get their green card, when someone who is already a legal permanent resident re-enters the country after being outside of the U.S. for at least 180 consecutive days. And then lastly, as because of the new rule starting October 15th, the public charge test is also going to apply to people who are applying to, uh, for extensions of stay or to change their current visas. So for people who have temporary permission to be in the United States and they'd like to extend that temporary, um, that temporary permission. Uh, so if an immigrant is not applying to enter the U.S., isn't applying to become an LPR, is not an LPR who's asking to re-enter after being gone for six months, they will not face the public charge test. And I do want to point out, notice that on this list of when public charge test applies, it does not include when an LPR is naturalizing to become a U.S. citizen. There is, there's no public charge test involved in, in the, the naturalization process. Also, I do want to point out that humanitarian immigrants are exempt from the public charge test. So all of the immigrants who are refugees and asylees, crime and trafficking victims, VAWA self-petitioners and all of those, they don't have to face the public charge test even when they're adjusting to become an LPR. And we'll talk more about that later. Lastly, before we move on, I want to make sure everyone understands that today we're focusing on public charge from the perspective of someone who is already inside the United States. We're not talking about public charge for people who have to enter from outside the U.S. There are slightly different rules that apply to that process, including, as you may have heard, um, a new proclamation that the president issued um, just last Friday about um, making it harder for people to enter if they don't have health care. But, um, but that would need to be a topic for a different day. Next slide, please. So we are all talking about public charge now because the Federal Department of Homeland Security just rewrote the public charge rule and made huge changes. The changes are a radical expansion of the rule and they really transform the public charge test into a tool to keep out immigrants who are not already wealthy. There were four major changes made to the public charge rule. The first, they changed the, there's been a major change to the definition of public charge. What is a public charge? The rule now has added additional public benefits that will be considered by immigration officials in the public charge test. They've added new weighted factors to that totality of the circumstance test that will make it harder for low and moderate income people to pass the test. And then lastly, they've extended the public charge test for people who are looking to um, extend their stay and visa extension. So the fourth change is pretty self-explanatory. So we're going to focus on the first three changes in a little bit more detail. Next slide, please. The definition of a public charge in the old rule, and by old rule I mean the existing rule because the rule exists, is, 
is in its old form until October 15th. The definition of public charge in the old rule is someone who is likely to become primarily dependent on the government for subsistence. That's a pretty high standard. Basically, that's asking, is an immigrant likely to become almost totally reliant on government support for survival? The new public charge rule that starts on October 15th changed that definition. Federal immigration officials will now be asking, is this immigrant likely in the future to be a person who receives one or more public benefits for more than 12 months in the aggregate within any 36 month period? That is very, very different from the old rule. It's also very complicated. And this is part of the reason that our immigrant clients are scared and confused. So what does that new definition mean? Immigration officials are trying to determine if an immigrant is likely in the future to need 12 months worth of benefits in a three-year period. The in the aggregate language means that immigration officials will add up all the benefits they think an immigrant would get in one month and count all those as separate months of benefit receipt. If they count up to 12 months of benefits in a three-year period, that would that would be a factor to indicate to them that someone is likely to be a public charge under the new definition. So in other words, if a person gets two public charge benefits in the same month, say they get TANF, they get monthly cash assistance for needy families, and they also get an SSI payment, when an immigration official is, is applying the new public charge test, they will count every month as two months when they're counting up to 12 in a three-year period. This is complicated. Don't feel bad if it seems complicated. It's easy to get bogged down in the math of this definition, but I really would encourage you all to focus on the main idea of the rule change. And the main idea of the rule change is this. Immigration officials have gone from the old way of deciding someone is a public charge if they'll need almost all of their support from the government to now deciding someone is a public charge if they just need a little bit of help from the government or are likely to receive some relatively small amount of benefit. Next slide, please. The second major change in the new public charge rule is, um, is the expanded list of public benefits that will count towards public charge. In the old public charge rule, which is in effect until October 15th, Immigration officials were only allowed to consider the use of three public benefits when deciding if a person was likely to become a public charge. And those three were TANF, temporary assistance to needy families, the monthly cash assistance for low-income families, SSI, which is the supplemental security income, that's a monthly cash benefit for disabled low-income folks without much of a work history, and the third was long-term care in an institution paid for by Medicaid. And that would mean if someone was um, living in a nursing home or an assisted living facility and Medicaid was paying for them to live there. These were the three benefits that policymakers decided indicated that you were primarily dependent on the government for your financial support. Now, Starting on October 15th, the new rule allows immigration officials to consider those three benefits plus non-emergency Medicaid for non-pregnant adults, 
21 and older, SNAP, also known as food stamps, and Section 8 and public housing benefits. So I'm going to clarify for you what non-emergency Medicaid for non-pregnant adults 21 and older means. That means that regular OHP for grown-ups is the only Medicaid benefit that will count as a public charge benefit. So children's OHP does not count as a public charge benefit. Cover all kids does not count as a public charge benefit. Pregnancy OHP coverage does not count as a public charge benefit. And emergency Medicaid, otherwise known as COWM, does not count as a public charge benefit. Next slide, please. So we've been talking about a lot of bad news, the expansion of the public benefits that are considered and expansion of the definition of public charge, but it is critically important for us to understand all the benefits that are not covered by the public charge rule. It's a long list. I would encourage you to be very familiar with this list. Maybe keep a copy by your desk. I'm gonna highlight some that are on the slides. Um, just to repeat, all of, the, all of the OHP benefits that are for children, for pregnant women, or emergency benefits are not covered by the public charge rule. Also not covered are um, Head Start, school lunch, um, the WIC program, women, infant, and infants, and children, that's a supplemental nutrition program, um, special ed, unemployment insurance, food bank, Basically, any and also anything received by an immigrant's children or family members does not count towards public charge. Anything that's not on the list, not specifically on the list on the previous slide, is not counted as a public charge benefit. I want to highlight for you that there are a lot of rumors and myths in the in our immigrant communities right now about public charge. Some of those are for good reason. Some of them are rumors and myths based on language in the proposed version of the public charge rule that didn't make it into the final rule. So there may be confusion in your communities about a, a couple of specific things. There's um, Medicare Part D low-income subsidies, which is a little bit of help for people to pay for their Medicare prescription drug coverage. The proposed public charge rule talked about making that a public charge benefit, but that did not make it into the final rule. So Medicare Part D uh, low-income subsidy does not count as a public charge benefit. The proposed public charge rule back when it was just proposed also considered making benefits that children get count against their parents in the public charge test, but that is not in the final rule. You might have to dispel some of these rumors and myths, but I did also want you to understand why clients might be afraid about these things or mistaken about these things. Next slide, please. There are more benefits that don't count. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these, but just to highlight a couple, the low-income home energy assistance program, so help paying for your for heat in the, in the wintertime, that does not count. Tax, earned income tax credits do not count. There are a lot of things that immigrant, immigrants can get that do not trigger any public charge test. Next slide, please. The third change to the new, in the new public charge rule has to do with that totality of the circumstances test. 
the Department of Homeland Security changed this test that immigration officials are going to apply. And the change is really designed to make it hard for low-income people to come to the United States and to stay in the United States. They, however, they still cannot just look at one single thing and decide that that makes someone a public charge. They still have to consider multiple things, um, but they have added new things to consider, and they've made certain things weigh heavily against people in the public charge test, and they've added a couple things that weigh heavily in favor of people in the public charge test. Most of the, of the factors have to do with income and people's ability to work and support themselves and their family. Um, I'm going to highlight some things on the slide. You'll notice that, um, that if an immigrant has a household income of 125% of federal poverty level or, or less, that will be heavily weighted against them in the public charge test. Other, ish, other things like age will be considered. They're looking to see if a person is of working age, and they consider that to be between the age of 18 and 61. They'll look at people's education. Um, if someone is between 18 and 61 and they are not working, that will be heavily weighed against people in the public charge test. They are going to look at English proficiency as part of this totality of the circumstances test. One of, the, one of the other factors that will weigh heavily against people in this public charge test will be um, a serious health condition. Um, and also, the past use of public benefits, only the public benefits that are considered public charge benefits, will be heavily weighted against people if they've gotten them for, t for 12 months in a three-year period. So really, the biggest problem immigrants are going to have with the new public charge rule is how severely penalized people will be for being low income. The 125% of federal poverty level heavily weighted negative factor, 125% of federal poverty level is $25,000 or almost $26,000 for a family of four. There are a lot of immigrants for who will fall into that, in that income category. You, will, you might notice that they've created one heavily weighted positive factor, and that's if an immigrant has a family income of over 250% of the federal poverty level. But that's a income, that would be an income of about $64,000 for a family of four, and most of the immigrants that we work with don't, don't have that income. Um, I will, well, I will say that the administration has been very open about the fact that they are making the public charge rule a wealth test. You may have heard the new director of Homeland Security verbally change the quote on the Statue of Liberty in an interview to say, give me your tired, your poor, but it, only if you can stand on your own two feet and not become a public charge. Um, I do want everyone to remember that humanitarian immigrants are exempt from the public charge rule, so they won't be kept out of the country um, for being poor. Next slide, please. So how will immigration officials know about the totality of the circumstances factors for any individual immigrant? The public charge rule, the new rule, says that people applying for LPR status, legal permanent residency status, have to fill out a new form and provide all the answers to the questions in the totality of the circumstances test. The form is called the I-944 form, and it asks all of those questions. It asks income, assets, 
What is your age? How's your health? What benefits have you received? What's your employment been like? So only draft forms of this form are available. You'll see, you can see from the slide, um, this one is, was, has, was updated on um, September 23rd of this year. It's the most current version out there, but it is still not quite final yet. This form is 18 pages long. And even the US government estimates that it'll take people over four and a half hours to fill out. And I will be honest with you, when I look at that form, I think that's a vast understatement. This is gonna be a, a giant thing um, and for people to, to have to do to, to apply to be LPRs. Next slide, please. You may start seeing these forms after October 15th, and I'd just be prepared. I wanted you to at least just see what it looks like so you wouldn't be completely surprised if someone brings this in. Right now, advocates around the country are working on some type of guidance to help service providers or agencies that might need help filling these forms out. Um, we don't have time to go through the forum in this training today, but I, as I said, I just wanted to show you so you wouldn't be completely surprised if someone brings it to you and asks for help. Next slide, please. So how do we talk about the totality of the circumstances test with clients? It's hard to talk about. There are so many factors, and the immigration officials have so much freedom to decide what they think might lead a person to needing public benefits in the future. But we can say these things about the test. There is no single right answer for everyone. There are positive factors that can counterbalance negative factors in this test. So for example, someone might be very low income, but they might have they might be very educated, so they might be likely they might be able to show that they're likely to get a very good and good paying job in the future. Receipt of benefits in the past might lead a family to stability and higher income in the future. So it's possible that for one family, getting some public benefits might actually help them in the long run when they do face their totality of the circumstances test. We know that use of public benefits alone can't make you a public charge. And we also know that there are risks to not getting health care and adequate nutrition and housing assistance. And I'll just point out that not everyone is thinking about those risks about, of not getting health care and nutrition and stable housing. But the damage inflicted on people, especially on children, from not having enough nutrition while their brains and their bodies are developing, or not getting medical care when they need it, can't be understated and we, we shouldn't ignore it. Next slide, please. Okay, so this slide is super important. It's as important as knowing which of the benefits don't ever count in a public charge test. Many, many categories of immigrants are exempt from facing the public charge test. They are under the old rule, the rule in effect until October 15th, and they will be under the new rule. Nothing has changed with these exemptions. Refugees and asylees are exempt. Survivors of trafficking, violence, and so T visas and U visa applicants and holders are exempt from public charge. VAWA self-petitioners are exempt. Certain people paroled into the United States, special immigrant juveniles, these folks are, there's, and there's more, these folks are exempt from the public charge rule. They do not have to face a public charge test. The public charge rule also does not apply 
to LPRs who need to renew their LPR cards and it does not apply to LPRs who are applying to naturalize and become U.S. citizens, as long as they don't leave the United States for more than 180 days before they become a citizen. So there are lots of exemptions to the public charge test. We've talked earlier, Denise mentioned the chilling effect of this new public charge rule, how many people are dropping benefits or not signing up for them because they're afraid of the public charge test. Many of them, the public charge test doesn't even apply. This is the reason. People don't know that the public charge rule doesn't apply to them. We know that people who are refugees are disenrolling. They don't need to do that. People who are U visa applicants are not signing up for benefits that they desperately need. They don't need to do that. So that's why knowing this information on this slide and sharing this information is critically important. Next slide, please. This is also a really important concept to understand. Most immigrants don't qualify to get those public charge benefits unless they happen to also be in an exempt category. So they're, unless they are one of the immigrants that's a humanitarian immigrant who doesn't have to face the public charge test. That's why we think of the public charge rule as applying kind of narrowly. Although all immigrants who are adjusting status to become an LPR will face a public charge test, except for those humanitarian immigrants, the people who are exempt from it, it's actually a very small group of immigrants who actually have to disenroll from benefits or not sign up for benefits out of fear of how it will impact their public charge test. There are some immigrants who qualify for public benefits, and then so those folks do need to be careful about the public charge rule. Here's a short list of examples of those people who may need extra information and advice about whether to keep or get benefits. People from COFUN nations, so people from Federated States of Micronesia, Palau, and the Marshall Islands can qualify for a very, a very small subset of benefits. They may need to worry about public charge. Some Hmong and Lao immigrants who are not refugees or asylees, some Hmong and Lao immigrants have a different designation. It's um, special for folks who helped the U.S. military during the Vietnam War. Some of those folks may need to worry about the public charge test. And adult LPRs um, who've been LPRs for more than five years who want to leave the United States for more than six months and then come back, those folks need some extra level of information and legal advice about public charge. But just remember, in general, it's a relatively small group of people who can actually qualify for public charge benefits who are not exempt from the public charge test. Next slide, please. The new public charge rule is not retroactive. The rule goes into effect on October 15th, so next week, but the newly added benefits and the new definition of public charge um, don't, uh, I'm sorry, the newly added benefits, so we're talking about um, SNAP, Medicaid and the housing benefits don't can't count against an immigrant in a public charge test unless they've been receiving them from October 15th on. So if they receive those benefits in the past but 
but aren't receiving them anymore by October 15th, they, can, they don't count against them in the public charge test. Also, people who apply to be for their LPR status um, before October 15th, or if their if their um, request was postmarked uh, before October 15th, they will also not have the new rule applied to them. And I'm going to remind you one more time: applications for admission to the United States from outside the U.S. so that's consular processing. They've already been using a different public charge definition, and that's just the, that's a different subject than what we're talking about today. Next slide, please. So one bit of good news is that there are many challenges to the new public charge rule. There have been nine separate lawsuits filed against this new public charge rule, and Oregon is part of one of the lawsuits. There have already been three hearings in front of judges in, um, in California and in New York, and all of the lawsuits ask the judge to stop the implementation of this rule until the whole lawsuit gets to run its course. So there is hope that the rule won't go into effect on October 15th, but we just don't know right now. None of the judges has, have made their rulings yet. Um, so we need to stay tuned and stay informed on this issue. Also. There are two pieces of federal legislation that are proposing to cut any funding for the federal agency to enforce the rule. So that may be another way that the public charge rule gets delayed or stopped in implementation. It is really important to stay up to date on the public charge rule. The, we're going to talk about some resources for you to, um, to use to talk to clients and for yourselves to be able to stay up to date. Next, uh, next slide, please. So here are some resources that you can use when keeping yourself informed about public charge and when referring clients um, for more information and help. The Oregon Law Center of Legal Aid, as we mentioned before, has a public benefit telephone hotline. The phone number is there. It, um, it is a resource for people to call if they have questions about public charge and public benefit. The next resource, the Oregon Immigration Resource website, is a great place to go for a lot of Oregon-specific information about public charge. The next link down, the Oregon Public Charge Fact Sheet, is the fact sheet that a lot of us are using to hand out and give people a physical copy of the basic facts about public charge. And that document is in, translated into many different languages. Um, so I encourage you to have those on hand or, or know where to get them um, on that website. Also, the state of Oregon has created an FAQ about public charge. So you can read at that link of the um, Oregon, Oregon Health Authority and DHS's to, um, answers to questions about the public charge. The next link is also super important, Oregon Immigration Attorneys. That is a resource where you can go and to find Oregon immigration attorneys who you can refer your clients to if they need specific immigrant, immigration legal advice. And there is even a list there of folks that work at um, nonprofit immigration organizations, so people might be able to get low-cost or no-cost immigration help from some of those. The last resource on this list is the National Protecting Immigrant Families Campaign. That is a fantastic resource for people to go and um, get national information about the public charge rule, and that is also a great place to go to check regularly for updates about the public charge rule to find out if it's being delayed or if it's 
um, that's been stopped because that organization, it's, um, it's, a, it's a joint organization sponsored by the National Immigration Law Center and a few other organizations. And they're just keeping up to the minute on the public charge issue. So if you're worried about missing something, go to that website, bookmark it, and make sure you check it regularly. All right, next slide, please. All right, now we're going we're gonna to reiterate um, the core messages about public charge. Remember, as service providers, you guys are not giving legal advice, but you need to know the facts and you need to share the facts with your clients and refer people, your clients, for more advice if they need it. Don't assume that the public charge rule applies to every immigrant. There are lots of immigrants who are exempt from the public charge rule. Also, many types of, of safety net benefits don't count in the public charge test. Benefits received by family members don't count against an immigrant in a public charge test. Just getting public benefits alone cannot make a person a public charge. Stay informed, things could change, and your people are not alone, there's help. Refer people to the fact sheets and to fact-based information. Refer people to the public benefits hotline for public benefits advice, and refer people to immigration attorneys for immigration advice. And I encourage you to ask for more training if, if you need more training or if you want to go more in-depth on any of the issues we've talked about today. So thank you, Beth, so much for that comprehensive overview of the public charge and the reminder to communicate the plain message language uh, to help fight the fear with facts. Uh, again, as Beth mentioned, uh, it would be great to uh, look over the slides again one time out or a few times after uh, the webinar and uh, make a copy of the pages that can provide you with resources and uh, more information for future reference. Uh, we're now going to hear from Oregon Latino Health Coalition and ERCO about how their organizations are responding to the questions and concerns they are hearing from the Latinx, immigrant, and refugees communities that they serve. And we will also hear from the Oregon Health Authority's Community Partner Outreach Program about their response to the new rule. So, Leslie. Yeah, hi, my name is Leslie, and I am a community health worker with the Oregon Latino Health Coalition. I have two years of experience connecting families to the Oregon Health Plan. Today, I will provide a three-step system on how to navigate conversation about public charge with clients, and we will share two different scenarios of families. I have a, the families that I have assisted with the Oregon Health Plan. First, validate fear. Second step, comfort. And third, is connecting to resources. The first case scenario is Rosario. She is undocumented Latino mom with three kids on the, on the Oregon Health Plan. Rosario heard about public charge in the news and called me very afraid, wanted to cancel benefits for her kids. I told her that I understood her frustration because I am also immigrant mom. Then I told her not to make any early decision without first talking to an attorney. I provide 
the 1-800 number to immigrant law center so she can could she can she could be assisted and make an informed decision. And again, I validate her peers, provide comfort and connected to her resources. Next slide, please. Thank you. The other family case example I would like to share is Armando. He is a Latino. He's married, has five kids. All of his kids were born in the U.S. Two of them had disability. Armando and his wife are undocumented. Armando suffers from heart problems, has been unable to work, and his family is on public assistance. He's very concerned now about public charge. I told him that he is not alone and that there are attorneys such as Immigrant Law Center who can answer his questions and about public charge. Then again, I validate, I use my three steps, validate his fear, providing comfort and connecting to resources. Thank you for listening and I turn over to my next colleague. Hi there, this is Koi Vu I, um, with ERCO. Uh, just a little bit about ERCO. We are um, a culturally specific nonprofit community-based organization that provides direct holistic wraparound social services, education, legal services, and advocacy for immigrant and refugee communities um, and the general community in Oregon, primarily in the Portland Metro Tri-County area. And we also have a presence in Ontario. My name is Koi Vu. I'm the director of Asian Family Center. I oversee programs at ERCO Asian Family Center and public policy advocacy and civic engagement for the agency. I'm here with Janice Chang, uh, our immigration attorney with our legal team. She'll start off the presentation on how ERCO has been preparing and responding to the public charge um, in the past year and currently. And um, I will close with our message to, um, that we're sharing with our staff on public charge. Good morning, thank you, Koi. Um, as uh, Koi mentioned, you know our communities here uh, at that we serve at Ergo are very diverse, um, including the programming that we have here at Ergo to serve these populations. We have many employment programs, a seniors program, a youth, children's services, um, a domestic violence program. Those are just some uh, programs to name. Um, and to be honest, we've heard uh, concerns from many staff members in many of these programs um, who serve these communities, as well as specific communities um, that uh, we are aware of. Uh, Beth mentioned the Pacific Islander COPA community. Um, that is one community that has uh, reached out to us, as well as um, Southeast Asian communities, um, just about many in immigration, immigrant communities because this rule is very complex, it is uh, confusing, and it's um, intended to be that way. Um, in addition, um, refugees and asylees have also expressed a lot of confusion um, whether or not you know, this new public charge rule will impact them or not. And um, we've been informing folks that they are not impacted. Um, where it gets tricky is that 
they could be impacted if they leave the country for six months or more. Um, so that applies to um, really all green card holders. And so um, we've been informing many of the refugees that we work with and Asali that we work with, you know, for purposes, um, for citizenship purposes, you know, if they wanted to naturalize, um, you know, do not travel outside of the country for six months or more. And uh, do not travel for six months or more because you could trigger the public charge test. Um, since this proposal came out, the proposal for the, pub the new public charge rule came out last year in October of 2018. Uh, what we've been doing here is really educating ourselves along with um, various partners and the Oregon Law Center and, and communicating, educating our communities. Uh, we've held numerous Know Your Rights education on various immigration topics, um, but at each one we've been very um, adamant to hand out the two-page fact sheet on public charge because we are aware of the anxiety and confusion and fear in the community. Um, we've had two stress, staff trainings. Our staff here are very diverse, um, speaking well over a, a hundred languages. And we know that if we empower our staff, they are the community leaders in their own respective communities. They can go out and relay accurate information to the folks that they work with. Um, ERGO is a large social services provider and we are unique because we have an immigration program here. Um, we've been around for about two years now. And really our message is also do not go without benefits until you get um, counseling. And when I say counseling, I mean um, speaking with a qualified immigration attorney to actually know and understand your status. Um, some folks out there aren't clear about their status, and that would be, I would say, the first step in determining whether or not this, this potential new rule could apply to you. And then what we're also telling folks is, you know, once you have uh, clarity on your immigration status, you know, we refer folks to call the Benefits Hotline, the Oregon Law Center Benefits Hotline, um, because they are truly the experts in um, public benefits law. I'm going to give this back to you. Great. Thank you, Janice. Um, and so with many of the trainings and presentations that we've been um, offering to staff and even community members, uh, one of the things that we actually noticed is that um, the, the fear and confusion is among our own our staff as well. And so with an organization like ERCO, um, with that we are uh, made up of immigrants and refugees, it not only impacts our community, it actually impacts us. Um, quite a bit and some of us are in these situations where we're actually confused ourselves about our status and um, if we're affected by this or not and so some of the messages that we've been making sure that our staff are well aware of is that there's resources out there that were there for them um, that um, us as social service providers first and foremost um, need to um, uh, acknowledge that we're not expert in immigration law and it's uh, not our responsibility as social service providers, nor should we give legal advice. And so everything that is um, presented today um, as far as legal advice um, or legal information, I would say it's not legal advice, legal information, um, it's for us to understand uh, more about the public charge, but we're not, uh, we're not, we don't need to um, provide the legal advice or should we provide legal advice to our, our clients. 
Um, but what we can do is educate ourselves, um, continuing to stay informed as these um, changes are happening um, through our administration on a daily basis and lean on each other ex as experts on our fields um, in legal and social services and government. Um, and that when clients come to us or come to you, it's um, that we need to validate this confusion and fear um, that this rule change and other actions from this current administration is um, its purpose is to create this uh, create harm through fear. And uh, one way to balance um, this is to um, uh, balance the narrative by providing accurate and reliable information and dispel the myth and misinformation. Um, and as what was said before, it's fighting the fear with facts. Um, so as social service providers, um, there's still a lot that we can do, and so we're asking our staff to continue to take this, these trainings, to inform themselves, um, and to go through the process of elimination. Um, and through that, we can actually really identify who truly is impacted and who is not. Going back to the presentation earlier, um, information that was presented, going back to the benefits page of those who do not count for public charge and who those who are exempt from public charge. Um, and then for clients who are coming to us not knowing if they are impacted or not, um, you know, we recommend for our, our clients to speak with an immigration attorney um, to actually get counseling first. Um, but before they do that, as social service providers, we can assist our clients to actually navigate, to find out really what benefits that they're receiving so that when they do come talk to an attorney, they're prepared and, and attorneys are actually able to serve them and be able to give uh, more accurate advice. Um, so again, going back to what we are experts in and how we can lean on each other to support each other in this effort. Um, and the biggest recommendation um, before they speak to an attorney is to not disenroll. Um, and that the livability and survivability of their families and for of themselves is most important. And before they make any decision as to, um, to talk to, to get some counseling, get some reliable information from um, and an immigration attorney first. Um, and then as collectively, as an organization, as, uh, so again, social service providers, we ask that um, our staff, um, our organizations, and other organizations like us to gather information, data, and stories of whom are actually import, uh, impacted so that we can report collectively um, and so that we can combine our efforts to advocate for more supplemental services within the state and push for some national change even. Um, but the big, biggest message, again, you know, as others have said before, Oregon um, in particular is a, um, you know, it's a special state with a lot of resources and services and co collective um, advocacy. And so our clients, our communities are not alone. U.S. social service providers are not alone. And so there's um, a lot of resources that are shared here today. There's organizations like ours um, that provide services to immigrants and refugees. And there's um, a lot of uh, immigrant attorneys out there that are um, really doing a lot of amazing work to support our clients and communities. So definitely reach out to us um, if you need more information. Thanks so much, Leslie, Janice, and Coy, and good morning, everyone. This is Josie Silverman-Mendez with the Community Partner Outreach Program at the Oregon Health Authority. I'm going to be talking about the state of Oregon's response to the new public charge rule, which really right now is centering on how can we try to help minimize the chilling fear effect that we've been hearing about this morning. So last fall, OHA was part of a multi-agency uh, effort that was led by the governor's office to submit public comment against the new rule. 
stating among many ill effects that the new public charge rule directly undermines our mission of helping people and communities achieve optimum physical, mental, and social well-being and improve access to quality, affordable health care. Um, we're continuing to partner with other state agencies, the governor's office, and the Oregon Department of Justice to help provide accurate information about the new public charge rule for our staff and our clients. And as I was saying at the beginning, really through that, that information, again, trying to fight the fear with the facts, minimizing this chilling fear effect that we know um, is impacting a lot of communities across the state. Um, so to this end, we've developed a public charge landing page. You can see the URL here on the slide. Um, at that landing page, we've posted the State of Oregon's FAQ, which is available in nine different languages. We also have a press release that was released by our agency in mid-August mid when the new rule was officially announced that you can find on that landing page. We're also looking internally to better assess um, what data is available to us um, to quantify the real impact of this rule. Um, and then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, we're partnering with you all, our community partners, to support vital public education efforts across the state. So this webinar is one example of our collaboration with partners. Um, we're also looking at other types of plain language messaging, uh, PSAs, signage, social media content, um, other communication tools that we can help develop with our partners to get the facts out and again fight the fear. Um, so please do stay tuned as updated information from the Oregon Health Authority becomes available about public charge. Please do check out that landing page um, for the latest information. Thank you Josie. And just to recap uh, a bit of the information uh, as far as what your organizations can do. Uh, sharing the facts is very important and not trying to give legal advice. So remember to share the plain language message, which uh, is that the public charge rule does not apply to every immigrant. Uh, many public benefits do not count towards public charge. Uh, public benefits your children or other family members get do not count against you in the public charge test. Uh, just getting benefits alone does not make you a public charge. Uh, the importance of staying informed, especially because things could change, and that you are not alone. There is help. There are organizations around Oregon that are doing this work to help support. Um, sharing Oregon-specific tools and resources with clients that will help provide information. Uh, referring people to legal help if they need it, and then staying informed about the changes to public charge. And we will continue to update uh, web pages and information um, as far as uh, the public charge resources that we have. Um, we have the Oregon Law Center uh, hotline, which has been mentioned a couple times already. Uh, we will be updating the Oregon Immigration Resource page to have a uh, place where you can go and find all of these additional resources. Uh, the uh, public charge fact sheet is already on that page uh, with the various languages available. Uh, the state of Oregon's frequently asked questions on public charge is available. Uh, Oregon immigration attorneys 
and the National Protecting Immigrant Families campaign. So these are the current lists that we have. If anybody has additional resources that could be added to the webpage, uh, please email them to me and I'll make sure they're there. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today uh, to the webinar. Uh, please look at our page. Our emails are available. Feel free to contact any of our presenters directly with follow-up questions and have a wonderful day.